This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with the salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of over $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Adventures in Angular link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Adventures in Angular. Ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to our classes in St. Louis or San Francisco, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code AngularAdventures, you'll get a $10 credit. This episode is sponsored by Telerik, the makers of Kendo UI. Kendo UI integrates seamlessly with both AngularJS 1.x and 2.0. It provides everything you need to integrate with AngularJS out of the box, bindings, component configuration directives, template directives, form validation event handlers, and much more. And yet, Kendo UI tooling does not depend on AngularJS, so if you want to use it with Angular or not, that's totally up to you. You can check it out at kendoui.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 70 of the Adventures in Angular podcast. My name is Joe Eames, and we have on our panel Lucas Rubelke. Hello. And Ward Bell. Howdy, howdy. We've got somewhat of a skeleton crew today. That's because today is our secret holiday Angular pick list show. Yes. So this is a show where we are going to be talking about different things going on in the community that we think are cool and we want people to be aware of, but... Probably maybe things that may not necessarily need their a whole entire show, but could deserve a little bit more talking than just, hey, I'm going to pick this at the end of a show. I'm going to start out with uh, my first pick. I was kind of disappointed, actually, that Ward showed up for this episode because I was actually going to give him a rose for all the amazing work that he's doing on the Angular 2 documentation. And tangentially, totally I have uh, been somewhat involved with that project. And... I think that definitely an unsung hero in this case, so word close your ears, don't listen to this, but it is actually a lot of hard work to do good documentation around a framework that's still evolving, but I'm super excited to see Angular 2 land, but also the documentation that's going to come with it, because I started Angular when it was still at like 0.9 in the yellow site, and the documentation was laughable and or non-existent. Well, thank you for that, Lucas. I didn't hear any of it. I just want you to know, but <clears throat> yeah. I, I muted so that you could. So I assume 
<laughs> you did your usual thing of tearing me down and yep. stomping on me. And, yep, you are no. dirt. You are dead to <laughs> I'm me, Ward. Dirt. I'm dirt. <laughs> no, thank you. Actually, this is a huge team effort, and there is so much going on t- uh, to make this documentation be good. And I'm really excited about some of the things we put in place. It's going to take a while, as these things do, to come to fruition. But I, I, I love what we're doing. Uh, for example... Just a day or two ago, and I'm about to try it on some of my stuff, my colleague Jay Traband wrote the material that will take the sample. Oh, first of all, what people may not know is that the sample code uh, that we describe in our documentation actually exists behind the scenes. That, in fact, the code that you see, uh, and this was mostly true and will be completely true, is actually generated out of real running code samples that we're going to have tests running against, but that we can at least execute. But the next cool thing that I learned um, from my colleague is that he has figured out how to take those samples and project them into plunkers in like you you and we'll be able to have a link in there and you'll be able to press the link and it will produce a plunker now a lot of people say oh yeah i have links to plunkers in my documentation and that's great you know and i've done that too but what i've done is i in those cases is i have it on a plunker that i've written somewhere and as the as time goes by things stop working and the the frameworks and libraries you're using get old and all that stuff and you never go back you can't even remember where they are to fix them this time, they are generated on the fly from the real sample stuff and put up into Plunker for you. Actually, they aren't even in Plunker. They're just live, developed for you on the spot. And then if you want to, you can save them, uh, clone them, do what you want, play with them, send them in with a bug report. It's such a cool way to roll. So that's just one of the many things we're doing in Dr. That's really cool. Now, I think it's probably a good idea at this point to sh- give a shout-out to Peter Bacon Darwin. Since he was the one who wrote this uh, documentation tool that runs the this framework that the NG2 documentation is sort of generated from. Yep, Peter, who's you think of him as mainly leading the charge on version one, but he's deeply involved in version two of Angular, and he's written much of the tooling that generates a lot of the JGC. My buddy again, Jay Traban, wrote um, the stuff that projects in. However, the, the stuff that you see, the code that comes right out of the samples and appears in the in the Jade itself, that's his work. So together, they've really been working on the infrastructure that you don't even think about that's lurking behind uh, documentation. And for anybody who may not have caught that, the documentation behind the scenes uses Jade, which is a templating language. So that's what Ward was talking about when he said Jade. Right. Sorry. Yeah, I'm so deep into it, you forget what you don't know. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's a very cool tool. I've checked it out. I've written just a tiny bit, just give a couple of small contributions. But the tool itself is extremely cool and lets you author in a very... Uh, streamlined way. So it's really cool documentation. And it's, I think it's producing really good documentation as well. The site and the code that's coming out of there, the documentation that's coming out of there is really good, which is a hard effort to find people that can really do that well. Well, and that's the other thing is that I have to, you know, tip my hat to our authors and, you know, we try and make it reasonable for the, you know, these are all people who have day jobs, right? Like you, um, they all have work right. to do, Wait, but I we're, do. but that also means that they aren't some, tech writers sitting around who don't know anything about programming. These are real live programmers out there who are taking on the task of understanding a framework that doesn't quite exist yet and applying it in ways that nobody, they don't even know how to use yet and bringing their experience 
to the authoring and putting out stuff. So uh, I'm really pleased with our, our whole team. Well, I think this is a good segue into talking about one author in particular, the guy who you maybe hasn't made the biggest contribution in terms of time, but his project, this is John, who's not here today, John Papa, our own panelist, not here today, who has been the premier or front guy for the Tour of Heroes tutorial, which is a nice, big, multi-step tutorial. I think as of this moment, there are two steps published on the website, but there's plenty more coming. Right. right? I, so, yeah, I've got three of them in the bank that I, I, I just have to put the scrub on and get out there. And yeah, you know, John just really put his back into that to tr- make us have a really good tutorial. Uh, it's a, it's a wonderful tutorial. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting all the parts, uh, published on the website, but you, you, yeah, he's just did yeoman service there. And let me tell you, <clears throat> you know, if it all comes out looking easy at the end, that's because John, was in there getting whacked in the head and tripping on the curb and taking all of the all of the hard knocks that went into getting it to this stage that you'll never have to go through. Right. And I think that's the kind of this is a topic we may, you know, in the future do an entire show on. So uh but it's such a cool tutorial and if you haven't checked it out, it's a great idea to go and give it a run through. And so also I just want to do a quick segue we mentioned uh, generating basically dynamic plunks on the fly for our code samples. Uh, big shout out to uh, Jeff Goodman for one, you know, building plunk er, so building plunker, and then also hooking up the ability to do this. So he is probably uh, one of my favorite undervalued or at least under the radar programmers that exist. And, you know, as of now, he is actually a full time programmer and not an accountant. So uh, it's pretty rad to see him come up through the ranks, but. To put together an awesome tool that all the Angular developers can use, especially in terms of the documentation. Yeah, he and Jay worked on this latest thing. Uh, one of the gaps that he just filled, and he did it in like hours. You know, I got you. Got to love that when people are able to respond like that. Was he added the ability to be able to put images? Because a lot of our some of our samples have images, and one of the things you couldn't do before, uh, you could create files and plunkers that were HTML, CSS, and text, but you couldn't get an image in there. Now you can. So uh, thanks, Jeff, for adding that feature. What All did right. we do at GDE? Also at the G, was there anything that came out of there that we wanted? So talk? there was a couple of uh, interesting things. There was talk of a beta date, which probably isn't worth discussing because you know by the time people listen to it, it may or it may not have already passed, and they may or may not have met it. But one thing I thought that did come out. So this for anybody who isn't quite following the discussion, GDE is the Google Developer Expert Program, and they have experts in many areas, and Angular is one of them. And they meet recently had their summit this last weekend, a few days just before this recording, uh, where all of the Google developer experts, regardless of area, came together for a summit and for some training. And while we were there, the Angular GDEs did a lot of things, met with the team a few times. And one of the presentations talked about the first public launched internal Google application on Angular 2, which is Google Fiber which, you know, is a very big deal. So Google Fiber is now using Angular 2, even though it's still in essentially alpha right now. It's a public-facing application. Kind of shows you how the stability of Angular 2. I was really excited about that. I don't know what you guys thought. I think it's great how much Google is using Angular 2 already. That shows you the degree of commitment and the fact that it really is going to have to drop. Uh, We're going to get it because they've got just some very big projects that are already riding on it. And that's part of the feedback loop that is making sure that when we do release, um, it's going to be hitting the ground and ready to roll. 
You know, the other thing that I noticed when we were at the summit was uh, you, you talked to some of the experts in some of the other areas. It was clear from their comments that they didn't have quite the degree of interaction, quite a public face that the Angular team puts out there. And I don't just mean with GDEs. It's not just this sort of private insider thing. What was really clear is how hard the Angular 2 team works at uh, working with community. And uh, they're way out, I think they're way out in front of, of the rest of Google in doing that. So I have to interject here. One of my favorite moments at the GDE was when um, – so Igor got up. He was talking about Angular 2, and then Rado got up to give an actual Angular 2 demo in TypeScript. And somebody asked – I think it was actually Rado. was like, we're doing this in TypeScript. Does anybody not know TypeScript? And Christopher Esplin, who is a Firebase GDE, kind of raised his hand. He's like, I'm not real familiar with it. And so Igor, who was just an extremely gracious person, just walked over and sat down next to him, and as Rado was actually giving his demonstration, Igor's kind of explaining and translating what is happening um, while this demonstration is going on. And I thought it just was really kind of indicative of just, I think, the overall spirit in Angular and just the awesome community because it comes from the top where, you know, you have somebody who's just this phenomenal engineer who's, you know, helped build this amazing framework, and yet he cares enough to, you know, go and sit down with another developer and explain TypeScript while this demonstration is going on. And I actually put a, a picture up on Twitter of that event specifically because I thought it really captured kind of the essence of the Angular community for me. Yeah, I could definitely second that. I see that same thing in the community myself. Those guys really set the tone. They do, and it carries over to us because, you know, you see them do that, then we got to do that. You know, I mean, you, you just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's karma. You got to keep passing it along. Absolutely. So I was kind of going on and on about this uh, before we started recording, but um, I've been using Angular Material for a course that I'm putting together uh, that's targeting kind of designers who are looking to get into Angular. And the more that I use Angular Material, the more that I'm just absolutely falling in love with it. So traditionally, I felt I would just fall back to, to Bootstrap because you'd get kind of the grid system and some buttons and some different things, and you would, you would not have to reason about um, kind of some of the UI elements. With Angular Material, you get all of that, plus a super tight integration with Angular, and the actual UI polish and interaction is just butter. And so next time I see uh, Thomas Burleson, he is going to get a great big bear hug, because just a great library. It's been such a pleasure to use, and I love it when you your expectations are set maybe at a 4 out of 10, and it comes in at like 9 out of 10. It just is absolutely blowing me away. Have we done a show on that yet? Soon, I think in it's, December. It's next. Yep. Our I very next that, show will be about that. With I'm really looking forward to that because I, I don't know about you, but I have struggled with Bootstrap. You know, I keep meaning to learn it, but it's just another learning curve. And it just seems when I look at the code full of Bootstrap, you know, the HTML full of Bootstrap, I want to run away and cry. Uh-huh. And, and I look at material and it just seems so much more natural to me. So I'm excited about it. We actually had an instance where um, I was doing some training at a corporation and they were talking about how to do a date picker on a mobile device. And they were showing, they showed me like a couple comps and they showed me kind of a stock bootstrap version. And it was just not really there visually. And uh, Patrick Stapleton was actually with me and we're like, oh, well, I think Angular Material has one. And we pulled it up and we showed it and it kind of has this infinite scrolling like month list. And it just really plays nice on mobile as well as desktop. 
and they were just completely blown away about just the, even the visual difference between you know like a stock bootstrap date picker and not trying to you know in any way shape or form you know marginalize the hard work that's went into that but visually just the overall slickness and coolness from angular material was just it was just so profound like how nice the angular material uh, date picker was especially once we pulled it up on a mobile device it was just like the, the deal is sealed this is what we're using um end of story so it was a real kind of a mic drop moment for the angular material team in my opinion that's very cool so ward tell me something that you're into in the angular community I think I've been sharing it as we go from show to show. Uh, I confess that I am putting so much time trying to get there with the team, uh, with the documentation as it rolls out that I am completely, uh, absorbed by that. So mostly aside from the details of what I do, I just have these impressions. Like I have the impressions of the community. Like I have the, pre- you know, the impressions I have of the team itself. You know, I don't know that I've ever worked with a more talented group of people, um, who are also so eager to share and, uh, you know, have, they all have like strong egos. Everybody has a strong ego, but it, but their ego doesn't seem to involve being superior to somebody else all the time, which is, t- gets tiring if you've ever been through that. So, you know, I, I'm just enjoying the ride. Um, and we'll see what it all means when it lands. But my pick is the way the team is conducting itself. I second that emotion. Nice. So one of the things I want to talk about, which is really interesting and I and near and dear to my heart, because I really am interested in Elm and have been doing a lot of Elm over the last uh, year, and by extension Redux, because it was inspired by Elm, is Rob Warmald recently put out a Angular 2 with Redux plunk. And what's crazy is it's such a big plunk that when you go and if you make any changes to the code, you know, Plunker automatically refreshes. Well, it takes it like three seconds to refresh, refresh because there are so many lines of code in it, and it's such a big, complex project. But it's an amazing to see this uh, implementation of Redux with Angular 2. He's using the Redux core library, and then he writes the uh, Angular 2. He wrote the Angular 2, some Angular 2 adapters for it. But it's also an amazingly complex uh, sample application as well for you know seeing different ways that Angular 2 is used and put together, so it's a cool reference application. But I thought that was really neat, so I want to point out that one. And we can put in the show notes a link to that plunk as well. And if you haven't seen Rob's talk from Angular Remote Conf, where everything is a stream, check that out. It's super awesome. And Rob is super helpful also. He's been a great find for me, meeting him, and seeing the work that he's doing and the way in which he also reaches out to the community, answers all kinds of questions and and gets there's no question that Rob won't give you an honest answer to and make you feel good about it. He is awesome. known for giving honest answers, whether you like it or not, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I actually I appreciate his candor and I think that is a his sincerity is a huge plus is enthusiasm plus one hundred. Yeah, and, and he realizes that, yeah, I mean, he's not going to back away from what he believes, but we're he knows we're all in this together. It, it's not like, shh, oh, really, Lucas? You don't know that? You know, you call yourself a developer? You, know, you never get any whiff of that. It's just, yeah, I got something to talk to you about. I think there's a right way and a wrong way. Let me share that with you. True awesome. story, bro. Okay. I have a goal for next year because I always want to learn something new each year. Like, I'm not learning anything new this year, right? But there's this go thing, you know, and I think it could... It might go somewhere. I think I want to learn Go this year. Have any of you tried it? I've heard good things nope. about it. 
So I haven't done it, but uh, the few people that I've talked to uh, that I respect are huge Go fans. I don't think it's, you know, I'm past the point of thinking it's going to be a flash in the pan. I'm not quite sure, you know, where its uh, sweet spot is. uh, And maybe some of our readers and listeners will tell us. But I think it's going to have an important role to play. Hmm. Awesome. Another thing project, a community project out there that I think is highly worth mentioning is Jeff Wilpley and Patrick Stapleton, whose uh, initials allow you to call him Patrick JS, which is pretty cool. <laughs> They've been building Angular Universal, which is server-side rendering for Angular 2, which is absolutely awesome. And I talked with Jeff a bunch at the Google Developer Expert Summit, and it was really interesting to talk to him and his experiences with server-side rendering, both at React and in Angular 2, and hear about the project and how it's coming along and they really like it. There's a lot of uh, really neat things that Angular 2 has implemented to make the server-side rendering really slick and fast. So I think that's really cool. It's called Angular Universal. I think that's a really cool project. I think it's going to actually change the game a little bit uh, when this is fully fleshed out because the implications are pretty phenomenal in terms of what it means for not only performance but in SEO but even supporting legacy browsers and interesting things you can do on the mobile and the various and infinite permutations in which you can appro- like approach a web application at runtime. Absolutely. Good. And I'm going to put the link uh, to Steve Sanderson's talk at the Microsoft Summit, which is open and it's published. It's a video in which he talks about what, you know, how, uh, Microsoft, or he in particular, is, uh, by the way, Steve Sanderson, if you don't know him, he was the guy behind Knockout and a whole bunch of other stuff. So he knows it. He's really good. He's one of the best presenters I've ever seen also. And he did a, a really compelling show on where uh, server-side rendering plays and where it can make a big difference and what they're doing uh at Microsoft to be able to tie in their backend developments right. uh, with what you can do on server-side rendering. And it was, a, it was a pretty special session. That's cool. You know, personally, I find I haven't had a need in any of the projects that I've done for server-side rendering. So I find the high focus on server-side rendering to somewhat be a little bit of a mislead because, you know, a project can be valuable even if it can't be server-side rendered. But it is really interesting and useful to see the projects that can be server-side rendered. And I'm, I'm really excited that Ang- Angular 2 can be server-side rendered. And I think it makes it fit well in its strategy of where Angular 2 is supposed to exist in the ecosystem. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Joe. I mean, as long as I'm building applications for desktop browsers, it doesn't seem like something that, you know, and for business applications, it doesn't seem like something that I'm going to need. But if I'm trying to get to the mobile and get into some bad bandwidth situations or get to, you know, f- get to the consumer, you know, I, I became convinced that that becomes uh, important. Cool. All right. So I want to talk about Minko Getchev. Minko G. Minko G. Because I am probably slaughtering his last name. There's a couple of things that he's done recently that are extremely cool. First, he did this very, very, very rough, very early Angular 2 hot reloader, hot loading demo where he just sort of band-aided together, duct taped together a little Angular 2 application that allowed for hot reloading the way that React and uh, – the way that you could do in React, which is very cool. It doesn't integrate with Webpack, which kind of 
this is the typical tool for hot reloading, but still it was very interesting to show this demo of, you know, and taking an alpha product, Angular 2, and saying, yep, hot reloading is totally workable in Angular 2. So if you don't know what's what a hot, hot what's a hot reload? I don't so know what that is. If you don't know what that is, hot reloading is the ability to say I've got an application running and it's in an existing state, right? I've logged in and maybe I've got a dialog box open that's popped up and it's over top everything else. And I want to make changes to the code and then reload the code, but I don't want to have to, if I don't have to, re-log in and go back to the same exact state. And that's what hotly reloading allows you to do is actually hot reloads all of the code without changing where the state of the application is. Ah, I first saw that in Meteor a few years ago. Maybe that's how it worked its way through to React, and now we're seeing it here. Yeah, so pretty interesting stuff. I think that the ideas came from long ago. I saw a, a demo a long time ago of a guy that had built a game that allowed for hot reloading. You could change the code, and the game itself automatically reloaded the code. And you use pipe, or uh, sorry, not pipes, but um, uh, web sockets typically to do this sort of stuff. But it's so useful for development, and this is a feature that React supports, and it's cool to see it also supported in Angular 2. So I'm looking forward to more stable versions of that sort of thing. So I think it was really cool that he just took some time, hacked it out, just wanted to fool around with it and show it. The other thing that he's done recently is he created uh, for his, I think it, was, it looks like it was a document that was created internally for his company. Uh, him and another guy, I believe, that work at the same company created this Google Doc there was a sort of a comparison, not necessarily a comparison, but an analysis of Angular 2 and React where they're similar and where they're different and laid this out. And it, it apparently it made a lot of noise on Hacker News, but it, the two of them have used, both used React for over a year. Minko, I think, has used it for like 16 months and the other guy had used it for 12 plus months. They both have used uh, Angular 1 for quite a while. And then, of course, I don't know if both of them dabbled in Angular 2. Minko obviously has. But they have this very interesting document where they lay out not the typical, oh, you know, this one's better at this, this one's better at that, or uh, your typical analysis, but a really interesting analysis talking about server-side rendering and mobile and things like that. I thought it was a great document. So we'll link, I'll link that as well in the show notes. So I have a completely tangential pick. This has nothing to do with code directly, uh, but lately I've been finding a lot of blogs uh, that I like. For instance, Victor has a great blog. I've actually was just looking at Minko's blog. And if you go to fivefilters.org, you can actually paste in the RSS feed and it will actually take the blog and export it out into an easy to read PDF. And so I've been doing that with a few of my blogs so that I can actually take the PDF and read it on an airplane. So I just did this with uh, Minko's blog and it's gorgeous. So fivefilters.org is a great way to read material offline. So I I have a pick, and it's an uh, Angular competitor. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I think it's a great thing that we have different approaches to this problem of how we build applications. That at one level, you could say, ah, it's all craziness, it's all madness, you know, what a it's the wild west of application building. But, I, you know, you could choose to see it that way, or you could choose to see these uh, different frameworks which take different approaches, to how you might do something. You see them pushing each other and potentially helping each other. Anyway, in this context, very recently, Aurelia, Rob Eisenberg's uh, the lead on it and the, the mastermind of it. Who and used just, to be part of the Angular team for a short while. Yes, Angular 2 he came team. and he worked, uh, worked with Angular 2. 
but then he, he, you know, they had somewhat different visions about how a framework should work. So he went off and, you know, took his vision of what it should be. And that's Aurelia. And you know what? I mean, it's, it's not a me too framework. And, and I don't think any of the frameworks are really me too. I wouldn't describe React as a me too framework either or Amber. They, they have points of view and, and they fit different communities differently. And so I, I, for me, it's just like, walking down restaurant row and getting to pick the style that I want for this application this time. And anyway, my point is that it just went beta. It just had beta one and it's pretty slick. And uh, in the show notes, I have a link to a video that he gave very recently, an interview he gave um, that shows the way you write in Aurelia and how it differs from um, it, its perspective differs from the other frameworks. And it's not, you know, he doesn't go in there and bash anybody. He just says like, this is how we roll. He's very much a, a convention over configuration person. And he drives that, rides that pony pretty hard. And that isn't the Angular 2 perspective. And so you get to see, particularly as you learn the two frameworks, these uh, multiple frameworks, you know, how a particular vision of how uh, of the way a developer would work with a framework, how that plays out pragmatically as you write developer code. I find it interesting. Very cool. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I'm I'm interested to see other frameworks and their take on things, and I really enjoy the contrast and comparison of frameworks as well, and how they each approach different problems. And I also think it's cool to see some of the internals and how they solve the same problem. I think that's very cool. It's like you know bemoaning the you know the fact that we have Android and and Apple and Microsoft you know if anybody says oh look we have all these different platforms well you know what that's a good thing uh, in my view so uh, they should have their perspective and they should go at it and I don't think any it's going to be winner takes all anyway yeah uh, and, and and by the way I don't think that means that we all have to be experts at all these things either we can we can pick one and say you know that's the one I write I write well in that's the one I specialize in. I think that choice is possible without getting on your high horse and knocking down somebody else's choice. Even to that, I feel like just the overall kind of temperature of the waters around frameworks has really kind of shifted from being combative to, you know, when Angular first came out, it was like Angular against this framework, against this framework. And there was kind of a lot of negative rhetoric around, you know, the different frameworks. Mm -hmm. Where in the last couple of years, it seems that, you know, especially now, that everybody has kind of realized that we're a bunch of smart people and we're doing good things just differently. And so even the collaboration among the different people within the frameworks where, you know, Angular and Ember are working on a CLI. The Angular team is talking to React about unidirectional data flow and how they're handling that. And really just kind of the dialogue that's happening is really, really exciting because I think you need those alternate viewpoints to kind of triangulate on the best way to do things in certain situations. So even then is one framework may be appropriate for a certain use case and another one is more appropriate based on some context. And so mm -hmm. I think it's not so much a binary proposition of like, I'm an Angular developer, I can never do anything else. There's absolutely nothing wrong with like, I'm going to give React a try for this and see what happens or I'm going to try Aurelia or Ember. I think that all of those frameworks bring something really good and useful to the table and so seeing just this dialogue happening kind of, you know, in the light and this, you know, kind of camaraderie is, I think, really, really rad and refreshing as compared to how it was a few years ago. 
Right. And so you know, was- you, I, I wanted to make one, uh, one pile on point here because you know, sometimes people think, oh, I've got to learn all the frameworks. Here's the cool thing about it. Even if you pick, let's say you pick Angular and you say, I'm riding Angular. I don't have time for any of these other platforms. I don't have time for React, Amber, or Aurelia. I'm just an Angular guy. Well, or a gal. Well, the great, the great news for, for you is that you don't have to. You don't have to because everybody who's building a framework is also looking at the other frameworks and bringing the best ideas in. So you, the uh, Angular developer, are a beneficiary, whether you know it or not, of what's going on in the world of React, Aurelia, and Ember. And first and foremost, learn JavaScript well. I think if you understand JavaScript, it's really easy to wrap any framework around that. And so you can see even with Angular 2... That's where it's going is that you, know, you have TypeScript, which is you know the super, super set of ES5. But if you understand that, then really you're just decorating your kind of regular JavaScript with the Angular bits. And I see that is where a lot of the frameworks are going as well. It's kind of this universal JavaScript with the framework layer on top of it. And so if you want to be good at any of these frameworks, start with JavaScript and then work from there. Right. And that brings me to a very small rant. I went to ReactConf last January, and I had a couple of people, at least one, came up to me and said, hey, what are you doing now? What, what are you doing here? Checking out the competition? And I felt very, almost offended. Like, I'm a technologist, right? I love technology. I love, I don't spend all of my time researching every framework out there, but I'm as just as interested in React as I am in other things. So there's no reason for me not to be spending my time learning new things. And the people who are out, everybody out here, they're listening to the show should absolutely feel the same way. Yeah, you don't need to uh, be an expert in all things, or even if you just right now you're focusing on learning one framework, great. But also getting outside of yourself and looking at other things is absolutely awesome. I'm so into Elm recently, which is an entirely separate framework. And, and by those tokens, it's a competitor to Angular and to React, and I don't see that as being a problem. No, it's it's about getting better, and that's what we're all trying to do. Absolutely. And and so there was a very recent conversation over Twitter about uh, one of my friends, uh, Jameson Dance, tweeted how every time he programs an Elm, he feels like he's in the future. And somebody else responded and said, oh, I just can't imagine working with a framework that doesn't support server-side rendering. It feels like I'm going into the past. Like, the server-side rendering is a baseline for if you want to have a framework. And a conversation ensued, and another buddy of mine, Merrick Christensen, posted this statement that I thought was, like, the most valuable thing to come out of the entire conversation, which is innovation is not a direct path, but instead is more like a, a web or a tree where... People are going down various branches, doing various things, and they're in combination. In total, they're innovating and moving our entire industry forward. And so to look at something and say, well, it doesn't have feature X, therefore it's useless, is a big mistake. Absolutely. You should link to that tweet. I would love to see it. Cool. I will. And then I'm going to get a T-shirt printed with that statement on there. (laughs) Do we have any final picture? We're hitting towards the end of the time we wanted to take, so. I think I'm picked out, actually. Ditto. Unfortunately, I'm sure that the minute we hang up, I'll think. <laughs> All right. Well, um, should we do a single round of non-angular picks to wrap up the show? Then sure. Starting with Lucas. you, Joe. Ah, uh, <laughs> Lucas. <laughs> I think I said your name before you said mine. All right. Sure. Uh, so my pick is the GD Summit from last week. Just a ton of fun, and actually, I was sitting there hanging out with all my buddies, and I realized that. 
I have quite a few really true friends that have come from my relationship with Angular itself. And so I think that I tend to be like rah-rah community, but it was just this really cool moment where I'm sitting around with like six or seven people. It was actually on Joe when we were going to meet the Angular team for lunch and we were standing outside waiting to be led in the gate. And I realized like there was like six or seven really good friends that have been hanging out with it for the last couple of years. And uh, so, yeah, stoked. All my, my Angular squad, you're my pick. Awesome. Ward, how about you? My pick is Thanksgiving. Perhaps my favorite holiday of the year. We're not trying to sell anything on Thanksgiving. Forget about what happens the day after. It's just a time to get together with friends, family, and food, and to realize how lucky we are to be here uh, and be with each other. Plus one. Awesome. For my pick, I'm going to pick the store REI, which is an outdoor like sporting goods store. The reason I'm picking them is because in this season of Thanksgiving and Black Friday, as stores are trying to one-up each other with these loss leaders to get you in the door, and we're seeing a little bit of a trend like Walmart is trying to get away from this whole mad rush that's you know literally killing people. We've had I don't know how many deaths in the past due to Black Friday, but it is definitely more than one. So people are actually dying trying to save $3 on a DVD, and I've seen some pretty gutter of the uh, human race in behavior go on at a Black Friday, and I stopped attending Black Friday partly because of that. Whereas REI has taken the approach of, we're not going to do a Black Friday, we're not going to sell anything, we're going to be closed on Friday. Instead, we encourage everybody to go outside, you know, true to the core values of the store, which is go outside and, and enjoy yourself, rather than the core values of the store is for them to make money, they're saying their core value is to get people to go outside. And they're there to enable that. So I just applaud that effort. And all the other stores out there that are doing something similar and trying to minimize the materialism of Thanksgiving and Black Friday. So I want to pick REI. All right. Well, let's wrap up the show. Thanks, guys, for being on the show. It was great. Thank you. I think it was actually a really fun show to kind of oh, just yeah. talk about a bunch of little things going on. And I hope uh, all of you listeners out there appreciate it as well. And we'll see you next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. 